Once upon a time. In a land far away. I'm Katrina. And I'm Jeff. And welcome to the Fairy Tellers Podcast. Myth, legend, folklore, fable. We explore what they say about cultures then and now. Grab a hot cup of cocoa and a comfy seat. While we retell you a thing. Welcome back to the Fairy Tellers Podcast. We wanted to give a special shout out this episode to our listeners in Turkey and in Thailand. In the last month, we had a lot of people out there. We don't know whether people are being tortured in prisons by having to listen to our voices or whether they're choosing it of their own volition. Yeah, but, but it's we're crazy. so happy. Yeah. So... So to our Thai listeners, Kapkun Ka. And to our Turkish listeners, I apologize first. I don't know any Turkish, but I looked something up and I'll try. Teşekkür ederim. Thank you. We're so grateful that you've decided to listen to our podcast for whatever reason. And hopefully we didn't just swear at you. Agreed. That would be bad. (laughs) Okay. So today I'm actually, I've been super excited about this episode for a while now because it's going to kind of end up being a two-part episode but you won't get the second part of the episode for like a couple months because we definitely have other stuff planned like in between so this is going to be cupid and a cupid and psyche episode and it's the purpose of it is going to be to kind of show you how tail types can break off from each other and kind of go in different directions. And Cupid and Psyche is an awesome one to start with because it has so many different breakoffs and adaptations all throughout Europe. And we're going to start with what's arguably the closest of the tail types. And to do that, we're going to head to Norway for east of the sun and west of the moon. Which, right off the bat, that's just a great title. Oh, yeah. Sounds like a Pink Floyd album or something. (laughs) Or a Doolahan album. Except Doolahan, it would probably be like, East of the Blood. Yeah, that's true. It's too pretty to be Doolahan, that's true. (laughs) West of the Spinal Column, I don't know. (laughs) Great. All right. East of the Sun, West of the Moon. So... Once upon a time, I don't actually remember if the story starts off once upon a time, but it just feels you appropriate. You know what? Most of them don't. I don't know if we've, have we talked about why stories start off with once upon a time or in a land so. far away? It's, oh man, this is such a random aside. But the reason uh, why a lot start with things like in a land far away or once upon a time is because the point of a fairy tale is to take a story and displace the characters into a place that is not like the time that you're in and not like the place that you're in. Mm, Interesting. Uh, I just look back to the text that I got this from and it does start once on a time. Because it's a Norwegian (laughs) translation. And And, uh, yeah, exactly. And that's the thing. So probably in Norwegian doesn't do that thing. Anyway. So once there was a poor husbandman, which I had to look up what a husbandman actually was. And apparently it's basically just a farmer. 
a fancy word for farmer. So once there was a poor farmer and he had... Yeah, because husbandry. Yeah, I, husbandry. like animal husbandry. I get it. I got it yeah. once it's explained <laughs> it, but it was kind of like, that is so far removed from how we use the word husband nowadays. It is. It is. Plus, we're so far removed from like farming and homesteading and all that stuff too. So once there was a poor farmer who had a ton of kids, but he didn't have like enough food or enough clothes for all of them. But all of them were healthy and happy and they were beautiful. Like apparently they were just like some of the best looking kids around. But none was as beautiful as his youngest daughter, which they say was, you know, she was so lovely that there was no end to her loveliness. And one day, which was a Thursday, I don't know why that particular detail is important, but it's there. A Thursday in late fall. (laughs) (laughs) On a Thursday. (gasps) Thor's Day. I thought about that too because of um, it being Norse Norwegian. Mythology. Yeah, yeah. I, I was going to bring that up later in the discussion portion of it, but um, it is it, it is good to note now. So Thor's Sorry, Day. I got so excited just now, though. <laughs> so on this particular Thor's Day or Thursday, the weather was terrible. It was dark. It was rainy. There was wind that was so strong that it would shake the walls, and the family was sitting around the fire. And then there came these three taps on the window pane. And everyone's like, well, what's going on? So the father goes up and he takes a look out. And outside of their window is a big white bear. And the big white bear says, good evening. And the father is like, uh, good evening, talking bear. (laughs) Will you give me your youngest daughter? And the farmer's just like, uh. So the bear's like, you know, don't hear me out, hear me out. If you will give me your youngest daughter, I'll make you a deal. I'll make you as rich as you are now poor. And so this guy's like, well, you know what? I am pretty dang poor, so you got a deal. But actually, you know what? I'm going to need to talk to my daughter about it first, make sure everything's cool. So he goes to the daughter. He's like, listen, this bear wants me to give you to him, and he'll make us all rich. And the girl was like, uh, how about not? And nothing the father said could convince her otherwise. So the father goes back to the big white bear and was like, hey, you know what? Come back next Thursday. I'll try to talk her into it by then. Okay, we'll see what happens. So the father spends all week talking to his daughter, talking about how rich they could be. And he's like, you know what? You're going to go and you'll go off and you'll live a really great life. You'll be living really well with that bear. And for some reason, that convinced her. So she's like, okay. I'll go, I'll do it. So she prays to go with the bear. She mends her clothes, washes them as best she can. You know, it doesn't even say clothes. It actually says her meager rags. Because again, they were so poor, they didn't really have enough money for proper clothing for their children. And the next Thursday, the bear comes back and she goes with him. So she hops on his back and they start riding off. And the bear's like, hey, uh, are you scared? And she was like, no. And he's like, oh, well, you just hold on to my, you know, fur and you, you've got nothing to be afraid of. So after a long time of walking, they come to like this steep hill that has a door in the front and the bear knocks and the door just opens seemingly by itself. And inside of it is basically like a huge castle. There's tons of rooms. It's all lit up. Silver and gold are decorating everything. And there's a huge banquet hall with like all the food that you could imagine. And on top of all that, the bear gives this girl a silver bell. And he's like, if you ever want anything, just ring the bell and you'll get it. So she eats and drinks her fill, and then she, you know, she wants to go to bed. So she rings the bell, and she's immediately taken to her room. And in this room is like a big white bed, silk pillows, curtains with gold fringe. It looked kind of like the type of bed that you know Harry Potter would sleep in at Hogwarts, but better. 
You know, every everything in the room is all decorated with silver and gold. So, you know, she gets in there, she gets comfy, lays down, and she puts out the light. And as soon as she does, a man comes into the dark room and lies down in the bed next to her. And at this point, I'm like getting very worried about the turn that this tale is going to make. <laughs> You're like, what story did you have me read? Why does she want to do this? What is going on? But... She realizes that this is the bear and he must be some sort of shapeshifter and he's taken off his bear form and he just, you know, goes to sleep there. And by the time she wakes up in the morning, he's gone. And then this happens like every night. She goes into bed. She turns off the light. The man comes in, lies down in the bed. And then when she wakes up in the morning, he's gone. And besides that weirdness, she kind of goes on and she's happy enough. You know, she gets to do whatever she wants. She's got all the food. She's got basically any material thing that she would want. But she starts getting pretty lonely and sad you know, she basically spends her whole days alone in this castle and she starts missing her family. So the bear, who like we've seen all along, he's been asking if she's scared, been trying to give her everything she wants. He seems like he's pretty nice. So he's like, oh, yeah, yeah. You, know, you can go visit your family. He's like, I want you to be happy, but you got to promise me one thing. And he's like, you can't talk to your mother alone. When you get home, your mom's going to try to take you by the hand, take you to another room. And if you talk to her... You're going to bring bad luck on the both of us. So please just don't go and talk to your mother alone. So on Sunday, (laughs) because we like to be very specific about our days of the week, they start to travel and the girl climbs on the bear's back and they start riding and they ride for a really long way. You could say that she was riding him bareback. (laughs) Um until they eventually arrive at this huge house and it's like super ornate. And this is where her family lives now. And her brothers and sisters are outside playing and she was just like so happy to see everybody. And the bear's like, you know, this is where your father and mother live now, but don't forget our deal or else you're going to bring bad luck on us. So she's like, don't worry, I'm not going to talk to my mom alone, weirdo. And so the bear (laughs) left and lets her be with her family. So, you know, the family was super excited to see her back. They're like, look at this amazing house. They were so grateful, too. They're like, thank you so much for doing this. You know, now we have riches. And they asked her, like, how, how are things with you, you know? And she's like, you know, everything's good. I have every material thing that I want. I can do whatever I want. But they could kind of tell maybe that she was not quite in, especially her mother. So just as the bear predicted, the mom's like, hey, come with me. Come with me. Tries to take her away to another room. But she wouldn't go. And uh, the mother just like persisted and persisted and eventually got her away. And once the mom got her alone, the girl told the whole story about everything, you know, like the bed, the light, and how the man gets in and is gone in the morning and just how lonely she's feeling. And so the mom's like, you know what? It's got to be a troll that's sleeping with you every night. I'll teach you how you can see him. Obviously, because it's Norway. Yeah. It was like strange things happening. Troll. Which I have a question about trolls that we'll probably get to. But Uh, anyway... So she's like, here's what we'll do. I'm going to give you this little bit of candle and you're going to hide it in your bosom and you'll carry it back with you. And when he's asleep, you'll light it and you can see him by that light. But make sure, and this is very important, all caps, do not drop any tallow on him. And so she's like, okay. Very important. Very important. So the bear returned and he took the girl back with him to his castle. And on the way, he's kind of like, so uh, did what I say was going to happen happen? And the girl's like, uh, no. He's like, well, if you listen to your mother's advice, you're going to make us both unlucky. So don't do it. And she's like, no, I totally didn't. I swear. She said like a liar because she was lying. Like a liar. 
And then when she got home, she went to bed and guess what happened? The same thing as usual. She turns out the light and the man comes and lays beside her in the bed. And just like, you know, her mom told her, she took out that candle that she'd smuggled in her bosom. So she lights the candle and holds it up so she can see the man who's been coming to her bed. And what does she see? But like the most beautiful man that she has ever laid eyes on. And I'm going through like a real like Henry Cavill phase right now. Like I'm convinced if I ever met that man in person that I would behave just as this girl does because immediately on sight, she falls so deeply in love with him that she just wants to kiss him right on the mouth. I'm going through a Jack Black phase, so (laughs) that's what I'm imagining. (laughs) It's not hard to imagine like from (laughs) turning into a bear to Jack Black. If if I if anyone makes a movie adaptation, that's who they should cast. And there will be just like the most beautiful man. And like I, I like I'm saying like I'm attracted to him, and I'm saying it without like any like sarcasm or anything. <laughs> I do, I do love I love Jack Black. When I see him, do I want to kiss him immediately? Probably not. Maybe a big hug, a big bear hug. But anyway, so she sees this Henry Cavill or Jack Black looking guy, and. Mm-hmm. She wants to kiss him. And so she does. Kisses the sleeping man on the mouth. But as she does, of course, she's not paying attention. She drops three hot drops of tallow on his shirt. And he wakes up immediately. He's like, what have you done? You've brought bad luck on us both. He's like, if you could have held out for one year, I would have been free. It's like my stepmother, my evil stepmother, because of course it's an evil stepmother, bewitched me. She bewitched me. So I'm a bear by day and a man by night. And if we could have held out for one year, then you would have broken the curse. But now all ties between us are snapped. I must leave this castle and return to my stepmother's castle, east of the sun and west of the moon. And there I got to marry a princess who's super ugly. She's got a nose that's as long as three eels. Ew. I know. I was like. That's very specific. It's very specific and very gross. And also eels are super long. They are. I don't know what type of eels they're talking about. But it's like I, you know, go to the aquarium and see an eel. Like one eel is like three feet long. Yeah, this poor woman. But this princess also is like a troll. So like whenever you see like little dolls of the Norwegian mm. trolls, they do have like the super long noses. Yeah. So maybe so, for a tr- maybe for a troll, she's like super hot. Maybe that, yeah. Maybe he's like her her nose is just not long enough, which I don't think is the case though because. We'll get to it later, but they call this princess long nose, like half the time that they talk to her. <laughs> anyway, so the girl, this poor girl, she's heartbroken. She cried and cried. She just fell in love with this guy, but now she realizes she just doomed them to not be able to be together. But she promised. She's like, I'm going to find you. I promise. And he's like, you can't. You literally will not be able to find me. There's no way to get to this place. It lies east of the sun and west of the moon. What does that even mean? That doesn't make any sense. You'll never find a way to get there. <laughs> he lives in space. Yeah. And so she goes like to sleep. She wakes up the next morning. He's gone. The entire castle is gone. And she's just laying in the grass in the middle of this like thick, gloomy wood. And all she has with her is this bundle of rags that she'd brought with her from her own house. And so she was so upset still that she cried and cried and cried until she couldn't cry anymore. And then she finally gets up. And goes off to find the prince. So she starts walking and walking. And then she came across a hag who is sitting under a lofty crag. A hag in a crag, you might say. Which, (laughs) hag in a crag, that sounds like a song from Doolahan. (laughs) Yeah, that is definitely a Doolahan song. (laughs) Anyway, so this hag in the crag, she was playing with a golden apple. 
I don't know, tossing it between her hands, juggling it, whatever. And the girl comes up to her and she's like, I need your help. She tells her this whole story. And the hag's like, wow, you know what? It seems like you should be the one to marry this guy. I want to help you. You know, this whole like sisterhood kind of togetherness sort of thing. But she's like, all I know about this guy is that he lives, the, the hag is saying this, all I know is that he lives east of the sun and west of the moon and that's it. But you know what? You can borrow my horse, visit my neighbor, and maybe she can help. But when you get there, just flick the horse under the left ear, and then it'll come running back home to me. And you know what? You can take this golden apple with you. Maybe it'll come in handy later. Wink. So she rides a long time to the next hag in a crag. And this one is holding a golden carding comb, which I had to look up what a carding comb was. Did you learn what a carding car- comb was from the Renaissance Fair by any chance? <laughs> um, Because isn't it where it's like, two different combs and you rub them together. Is that it? And it like, it pulls the fibers and it lines them up with each other. Yeah, exactly. So it's like you take the cotton or the, or the like plant fibers or whatever. They're just all in a jumble. And I don't know how it works, I guess, but you just like somehow you comb them and it exactly lines them up. And it's like one of the steps before you can actually twist them into whatever material. But I was like, you know, it would be, I would be better served because it comes in, into play here with the next item as well, but knowing more about how textiles are manufactured, especially in the olden days. So anyway, because basically anytime a woman pops up in like a fairy tale story, she's doing something that has to do or has tools, either tools that make her look more beautiful, like a mirror or Uh a comb for her hair. Yeah. Or, or, or something that has to do with homemaking where it's like like the household needle and thread. And Yeah. Just crazy that back in the day, it's like your household chores were like, we have to make our own fabric for our clothing. Yeah. (laughs) Anyway, so she's got this carding comb. The girl flicks the horse she borrowed under the left ear. It runs back. And so she asks this new hag in the crag with a carding comb if she knows anything. She's like, well, all I know is that he lives. The castle is east of the sun and west of the moon. And you're never going to get there. But she's like, you know what? Maybe my neighbor does. She gives her the comb, lets her borrow a horse that you can flick on the ear. She goes to the next neighbor. Same thing happens. Crag in the hag number three. Hag in the crag number three. And this one has a spinning wheel. So the girl flicks the horse under the ear. It runs off. She asks this hag. I think you get the idea. So she doesn't know. She lets the girl have this golden spinning wheel and borrow another horse. She's like, you know what? Ride this to the east wind. And we're like, finally, we're done with the hags. Finally. <laughs> but, but she had to collect like magical items. She did. She had to collect the items that will come in handy along the way. And I'm like, a sp- how can you have like a miniaturized spinning wheel? That's kind of a big item to l- l- lug around, especially if it's made of gold. Yeah. But it's, you know. She's about to go visit literally the east wind, so I think we can suspend our disbelief a little bit with that. <laughs> She's got the bag of holding from D&D. She can carry any weight and any size of items that she needs to. So <laughs> she borrows this horse, rides to the east wind, and things are just going to get more annoying from here because she gets to the east wind, and guess what? The east wind has never been. He knows, he knows where east of the sun and west of the moon kind of is, but he's never been there because he's not strong enough. He's like, you know what? I'll take you to my brother the west wind who's stronger than me so she blows over there on the west wind they go visit him of course he doesn't know anything more about it so he's like oh go visit our brother the south wind they blow to the south wind and the south wind is kind of annoyed like what are you guys doing here she tells the story asks him if he knows anything he's like well of course i don't because 
We need you to go through several steps before you get to where you want to get. <laughs> but we'll take you to the North Wind. He's the strongest of us all. And maybe he's gone there. So they take him. She rides on the South Wind to the North Wind. And she asks the North Wind if he can help. And he's like, you know what? I know where it is. I once blew an aspen leaf there. But I was so tired from blowing the aspen leaf there that I couldn't blow a puff for many days after that. He's like, I'll take you, but first we got to rest up for the night, and it's going to take us like all day to get there tomorrow. And it's like, because she is a lot bigger than the aspen leaf. <laughs> she's a lot bigger than aspen leaf, and she's carrying a solid gold apple, a gold <laughs> carding comb, and a freaking spinning wheel made of gold that she's got to take with her when she goes, and not even a horse to carry it. But he wouldn't be able to carry the horse with all that stuff either. So they rest up for the night. And in the morning, the north wind starts getting himself puffed up so big that he's like really, really scary to look at. And he starts blasting off towards east of the sun, west of the moon. And he's going and he's blowing so strong and so furious. He's creating storms below them. These storms are so strong that they're blowing over houses. They get out over the sea. It starts capsizing boats literally by the hundreds. This storm is so bad. So, you know, the death toll is... approaching Avengers levels of, of uh, you know, civilian <laughs> casualties in collateral damage. An Avengers level threat. Exactly. So they start getting there and they're out over the sea and the, the north wind starts losing steam, but they're like almost there. He gives one last huff, but then his wings start sagging and drooping and he falls into the sea and he asks the girl, he's like, are you afraid? And she says, no. And that's one thing I didn't add, like so many steps along the way, these winds and hags and people keep asking her if she's afraid and she always says no she's in it for the adventure so (laughs) as they're falling into the sea the north wind has just enough strength to throw her to the shore but he's so worn out that he has to stay and rest for many days before he can return home so luckily these people that have been ravaged by these terrible storms will have a few days of calm with no wind apparently before he gets back anyway so finally this girl has made it apparently to outer space. So finally she's here and she finds the castle where the prince is staying and she sets herself up below the window and she starts playing with the the golden apple. And along comes the long-nosed, ugly princess who is supposed to marry the, the prince, the troll princess. She's like, oh, hey, nice golden apple you got there. What do you want for it? And she's like, sorry. You know, the girl's like, sorry, it's not for sale, not for money. It's like, well, what do you want? I'll give you anything. She's like, okay. Uh, I know you're supposed to marry this prince. All I want is uh, one night alone with him in his room. Is that, is, that, is that too much to ask? And so this long-nosed troll princess was like, you know what? Sold. Give me that golden apple. So she escorts the girl up to the prince, prince's room while he's sleeping and says, okay, you have until dawn. Do whatever you're going to do, I guess. And again, I'm wondering if this is going to take a creepy turn, but she, she starts, you know, shaking him, calling his name and doing whatever she can to wake him up, but he just won't wake up. And then the dawn comes and long nose comes back, kicks her out. It's like, dang it. What do I do? So the next day she brings out that golden carding comb. Same thing. Long nose comes along, wants in on that gold. She exchanges it for a night up in the, in the prince's room. And same thing. She's shaking him. She's calling his name. She's crying and crying and crying. Like, what I got to do to wake him up? We've got to be together. I've beat the odds and gotten to this castle, but now he just won't wake up. And, but try as she might, she couldn't wake up the prince. 
So the next day, she used her last item, the golden spinning wheel. She's out there spinning on her golden spinning wheel. Longnose comes along again. Same thing. She's like, okay, you can try again if you want, sucker. Getting all this gold stuff basically for free. And then the narrator chimes in with something that I think you will find particularly delightful, Katrina. (laughs) The narrator says, As you must know, there were some good Christian folk who had been taken away by the trolls and kept in a room next to the prince. (laughs) I do. That's delightful. A a wild Christian reference has arrived. Yeah, there's always just like some wild Christian reference that pops up in stories. So they had heard how this, you know, youngest daughter of the husbandman had come two nights in a row and was crying. So they told the prince. And so that night when the long-nosed princess comes and she's bringing the prince her special sleepy drink, which is literally the words that they used in the translation that I saw, he thinks, oh, Yikes. he kind of gets is what's going on. So he's like, okay. So he pretends to drink it, doing the classic, you know. Pouring it and letting it just like fall over his shoulder. Glug, 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 glug. Oh, delicious. Thank you. And so when the girl came in that night, she found the prince awake and she told him the story, the long, very repetitive story about how she went to three hags and four different winds to get here and had to try to wake him up multiple times. And he's like, You made it just in the nick of time because I'm supposed to get married to Miss Longnose over there tomorrow, but I've got a plan. So here's what we'll do. I'll let her know that I want to test what she's made of, see if she's going to be a suitable wife for me. I'm going to ask her to clean my shirt, the one that got the three drops of tallow on it, because this is a job for good Christian folk. Oh, gosh. (laughs) I don't think he said that. I think the narrator or whatever kind of added that in there. But she won't be able to do it. And then I'll say, well, I only want to marry the one that can clean this shirt because it's going to be my wedding shirt. And then you can try and you'll be able to do it. And then we'll be able to get married. So like, okay. Let's do it. Sounds like a great plan. And so the next day, it's exactly what they do. They follow through. Long nose. She tries to wash the thing. She's like, piece of cake. She starts washing it. And as she's washing it, not only do these spots not go out, they just start getting bigger and darker and just more set in. And the, you know, troll mother comes along. She's like, you don't know how to wash. Let me try it. So she starts washing it vigorously in this, you know, thing of water. And the harder she scrubs and the more she rings, the bigger and uglier these spots become. And the next thing you know, like all these trolls are like, we got to help this princess get married to this guy. And they're all dunking in the water. Next thing you know, this entire shirt is just completely 100% stain. And so the prince is like, what? <laughs> look at you. None of you all know how to, how to clean. It's like, look at that beggar girl out there in the street. I bet she can clean better than all of you. So bring her in here and see if she can cl- wash the shirt. So the the girl, the youngest daughter of the husbandman from the beginning of the story, comes in and he's like, do you think you can wash this shirt? And she's like, I don't know, but I'll try. As soon as she <laughs> takes the shirt and it touches the water, boom, it's like instantly clean. It's like the brightest white. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. What's that guy's name? Billy Mays comes in. He's like, it's OxyClean. She pours a, a big scoopful of it in there. And then like magic, swirl it around and the stain is gone. And that's exactly what happened. So he's like, this is the woman <laughs> I'm going to marry. She knows how to use OxyClean. And at that, the troll mother gets so enraged that she poof, bursts on the spot. <laughs> And so do all of the other trolls just, they start popping, exploding. And I'm like, you know what? It's a good thing that this girl knows how to clean because they're going to have to clean up a lot after (laughs) all these trolls are exploding in their faces. Going to be a mess. And so 
They set free all these good Christian folk that have been locked up. And like good Christian folk are wont to do, they loot all the gold and silver that they could carry from this <laughs> troll's castle. <laughs> Just kidding. I'm, I'm pointing out the fact that it's like... Whatever. Anyway. <laughs> Maybe I shouldn't say that. No, no. It was absolutely perfect. Because it yeah. is funny that it's like... They make such a point to be like, they're good Christian folk. They're good Christian folk. And then they're like, and then they looted the castle and then they left. And you're like, wait, what? Exactly. I thought these were supposed to be good Christian folk. Yeah. They loot the castle, taking all the gold and silver they can carry. And they get as far away as they can from the castle that lay east of the sun and west of the moon and presumably lived happily ever after. The end. Yay. I love that. Which I had a lot of fun with the telling of that story, but I really did love this story. It was really fun. Oh, yeah. And there's a lot of really cool elements. There's a lot of like questions that I have about it, too. Yeah. You know, like like the whole white bear, like in the text that I read, it was like always italicized when they said white bear. And it made me wonder, like, is like the white bear a thing in like the Norse mythology? Or is it just something for this story? You know, Um I would have to, so my initial thinking is like, I would have to look this up because I don't think that, I don't think that polar bears are native to Norway. And so a white bear is not necessarily like a reference to like a polar bear. It might be reference to a, like an albino Uh. bear. Like some and kind of indication that it's like magical and special. Exactly. Because there's a, in a lot of places in the world, if you see like a white tiger, if you yeah. see a white elephant, like those yeah. are special sacred things because like albinism is a rare genetic mutation. And so they right. it's like weird to see. And especially if you didn't have the science behind it back then and you just suddenly saw like a bear and it was white. You'd be like, and uh, so, what the- yeah, I'd be like, oh, like it's a spirit bear. I would have to look that up for Norway because. Right. Well, and I didn't expect you to know, but I was just like, that was uh, one of the questions that I had. And I was yeah. also like, you know, this, it was kind of interesting. You can see what they're doing. It's really common for like things to have to happen like three times. But there was yeah. like the three hags, the four winds, the three tries of waking up the prince, the three different people washing the clothes. And not to mention, I skipped a lot of them, but like. This story said the phrase east of the sun, west of the moon, like 600 times. Because she literally would say the whole thing, like every single person that she met, she would say yeah, the whole she, thing. Then they would say the whole thing. And you were like, you were like, no, 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 no. We don't. We get it. We understand. It's the title. <laughs> yeah. And again, like I said, it's a beautiful title. So it is. So they were like, dude, we came up with an amazing title. So we're going to keep <laughs> reminding people. Of how awesome it is. Another thing that I was wondering about was, you know, about trolls. Because did it seem to you it like the prince was not a troll, right? No. I didn't think so. But I was kind of like, it almost kind of seemed like maybe he was. Like the like her the girl's mother thought, oh, that's a troll. But it wasn't. It was just someone who was under like the enchantment of a troll. And also it made me oh. wonder like... Oh, you mean because the mother at the beginning? I was thinking the, the troll. I was thinking the troll mother. Yeah, so the girls, like, the girl's mother, not the yeah. not the troll princess's mother, but like the the mother. Yeah, from the beginning, who took yeah. her aside, she was like, "Oh, it must be a troll that's sleeping in that bed with you." So I was like, kind of like, "Oh, is he a troll?" 
Because he says he's enchanted, but he never says like, oh, no, I'm not a troll. I don't know. It was just one of those things. So I was, I was kind of like, what do trolls look like in this culture? Do they look kind of like humans or are they no. troll-like? Because so, I do think of the troll, yeah. you know, those troll statues that they have. Yeah. So trolls were basically ugly, stupid giants. Okay. Uh, and so like he wouldn't have been a troll. I mean, and if he if he was a troll, he would have been like a freak because <laughs> he was like really good looking and like her size when he wasn't a bear, yeah. like when he wasn't like enchanted. Right. And so like yeah, he wasn't he wasn't a troll, but the kind of the most feared magical creature in like Norwegian mythology would be like a troll. Right. And it's it they, it all comes from Norse mythology. So in Iceland also they would have trolls that were kind of the the big bad. Yeah. And they it's interesting because they're kind of like this halfway between not in the way that they look, but in some of the like behaviors the or the that, things the that behavior, they do. The things about their life. They're kind of a cross between like elves and the fae and giants. Mm-hmm. In that like the the places that they live, uh, maybe it's like closer to dwarves. Because they could live like inside of rocks and, right. and stuff like that. Um, and so they could be unseen giants. Oh, interesting. But they... There's also like mythology where in like Norway where like they made the fjords. And I mean, now we know that the fjords are carved from giant glaciers. Right. Making, they're like, these are so massive. They must have been carved out by trolls. That is interesting. Because it also brings up the question of, so this guy is presumably a human and his stepmother put a curse on him. So, and like somehow that involved him being like, betrothed to a troll princess too it's kind of like again there's kind of like a lot of backstory that i'm like what happened to <laughs> to get this guy in this situation in the first place yeah which yeah, it, do- it doesn't mention anywhere in the story but it, it makes me want to know you know and i i also yeah. wonder as usual when there are things that i don't quite understand if maybe it's part of the larger work of you know the norwegian mythology that there's just information that that audience that it was kind of made for would just know certain things like what the situation was. So they wouldn't even think twice about it, but you know, the story's relying on knowledge, me to have knowledge that I do not have in order to kind of fully understand. Yeah. But, but at the same is- time, fairy tale. So it's just kind of like you accept exactly. what it is. Because it's a fairy tale like formula. You like understand, like they'll be like, Oh, he was placed under an enchantment. And you're like, of course it's like, Oh, he was betrothed kind of against his will to marry a person from not only like an opposing kingdom, right. But, but an opposing, like also yeah. like, yeah. Race of being. Yeah. Uh, Cause it's like, he's not human. It's an entirely different, like it's kind of like the same thing that happens at the end where it's just like, and they all explode and everything is resolved and they run away and they get all the money. Like because yeah. fairy tale, it, allows you to be like that's just the way that things were you don't have to question it he says that that's what happened that's what happened yeah because it's like you'll read some yeah you'll like read some fairy tales where they're just like and then the person got so mad that they burst into flames you're like (laughs) wait what (laughs) 
<laughs> but it's a way to kill off those characters without getting blood on the hands of the people right. that you like. In the exactly. Story. And they're like, well, we didn't kill them. They just all exploded. Yeah, so, they just exploded. You know, there's no next of kin for to inherit this <laughs> castle or the <laughs> money. So well it's loot. not actually looting. Yeah, it's just... You know, the laws of the kingdom say finders, keepers, losers, weepers. And guess what? We found all this stuff. Yeah. Not to mention, so trolls, North, uh, Norse mythology. And also, like, if anybody's read Beowulf, I did recently because of me being a dork. <laughs> so <laughs> Grendel and Grendel's mother were kind of giant troll, like, tail type creatures like also Uh and so there is this kind of history of like not only do you have to deal with like one one troll you also have to deal with like that troll's like mother (laughs) and so and so in this story it's like it's also dealing with like this troll mother but none of them exploded in this story at least not in the version that i read but if oh. Michael Bay directs a version of it, you better believe they will. <laughs> oh, man. And it's funny because I can picture it where like Beowulf will just be like coming out of like the swamp and then like he's carrying one of their heads. I can't remember if it's Grendel's mother, if it's Grunt. Anyway, he'll be like walking slow motion with like a, a troll head monster head like in his hand and then there's this like underwater explosion and like water nice. shoots up everywhere and it's like grendel's mother's like lair just exploding <laughs> way to go <Amazing>. michael bay <laughs> this movie that you didn't actually make gets our seal of approval <laughs> yep it looks great in my head love is in the air right now along with the delicious aroma of fresh-baked pizza and savory chicken wings at Mr. G's Pizza. If you're looking for a great place for a night out with a hot date, look no further than Mr. G's Pizza. It's the best place in Joseph City, Arizona to spend an evening with the ones you love. Cupid's Arrow hasn't found Andy yet, so even on Valentine's Day, you can find him working there, Thursday through Saturday. But don't worry, you can barely hear his lonely sobs over the excellent sound system in the back room that has an indoor movie theater perfect for dinner and a movie. Celebrate love this year at Mr. G's Pizza. So the first time that I read East of the Sun, West of the Moon, I did not know the story of Cupid and Psyche. You know what? I still do not and I know that like when we talked about doing this episode, you said like, oh, it's like a version of the Cupid and Psyche story. But I kind of purposefully didn't look into that just because I kind of wanted to like, I don't know, hear it from you. You oh, know what good. I mean? So I'm actually really excited to hear about this because I didn't I had no idea that this tale type even existed unless it's like just invaded things in ways that I'm just not aware of. Yeah. And it's it's funny because I assumed that it was like a gap in my knowledge because i was in a book club wow you and- are a nerd just kidding no i would love to be in a book club i feel like you kind of are in a book club right That's now because i keep assigning you reading but i'm and still then making like the- you discuss it <laughs> but i still like actually don't do like my reading half of the time and show up it's like high school all over again <laughs> except this time i'm the teacher <laughs> what a horrible thing to have happen so 
Yeah, I was in a book club and we were reading um, a book by C.S. Lewis. It was actually the last book that he ever wrote. Mm-hmm. And it's called Till We Have Faces. And everybody at book club was kind of like, oh, yeah, it's it's a retelling of Cupid and Psyche. And everyone was like, oh, yes, yes, a retelling of Cupid and Psyche. And I was like, I'm an idiot. Because <laughs> I was like, I'm like, I guess everybody knows this story and I've never heard it. Like, so At least I'm not the biggest nerd at the book club. <laughs> yeah. There's always a bigger nerd. <laughs> Brings me comfort. Um, and so anyway, so after that, like book club, when everyone was like, oh, yeah, obviously this story. <laughs> you're like, yeah, yeah, like, yeah. Um, you're checking it out on your Kindle as they're yep. talking about it. <laughs> looking like, at the like, Wikipedia article. Yeah, like got it quickly. Like... Look it up. So the story of Cupid and Psyche was first written in the second century AD. And it was written Dang. by Yeah. So it's it's been a minute. It's old. Um so it was written down by Apuleius. So Apuleius was a Latin writer. He wrote in Latin. And so all of the names such as Cupid are the Latin ones. Instead of the Greek, because Eros uh, is Cupid, is like the Greek equivalent to Cupid. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so all of these names are in, are the Latin versions, which really throws me off, because we get to Persephone, but it's not Persephone, because that's the Greek name, and you have to use the Latin name, and I'm like, but I don't like the Latin name, but <laughs> I don't get to pick. <laughs> So, Apuleius wrote down the story of Cupid and Psyche in the 2nd century AD. So, that's the version I'm going to tell you now. And then we'll talk a little bit about kind of like the history and how the story went from Cupid and Psyche to East of the Sun, West of the Moon. Cool. So, all the listeners can listen and see what similarities in the story they hear from the one that Jeff just told them. Because I think it's pretty cool to see where you go from, like, a mythology or just this really old writing. Because this story actually falls into kind of like a weird place mythologically because it was mythological characters that were in the story, but not necessarily written as a, like a religious text. Uh huh. And so just, you know, this story kind of falls somewhere in a weird realm and scholars debate on mythologies and what makes a myth, a myth, whether it has to be religious to be a myth or whether it can just be characters from. So anyway, if people want to get pedantic about it, (laughs) So we're in that gray area. Yeah, we're in a weird gray area. So the story starts off. There is a king and he has three daughters. And all of his daughters were beautiful. But the youngest, Psyche, was by far the most beautiful. They said that she was so beautiful. She was like a goddess that her beauty made everything seemed like it glowed brighter that when she walked into a room, it just lightened everything up because she was so beautiful that like light emanated from her. 
And they said everybody next to her became ugly and common looking because she was just so strikingly beautiful. <laughs> so you I'm just like, love to hang out with. Yeah, I'm like, I know that I've like taken pictures with some people and been like, oh no, because I like look at myself <laughs> yeah. in the picture and I'm like, uh oh. <laughs> yeah, been there. <laughs> So, yeah, like, I there aren't a lot of pictures of me and your wife, Jeff, and now you know the reason. <laughs> well, thank you. <laughs> I love her. Me so, too. So, anyway. <laughs> Good. Treat her right or I'll take her. So, <laughs> uh, so, she was so beautiful that people from all around, men and women, came from all around to, like, the world. They would make long pilgrimages, long trips to come and see her and gaze at her beauty. So and she was people, the female Henry Cavill. Exactly. Or the female Jack Black. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever floats your boat. <laughs> That's the kind of woman I'm into. So, <laughs> Dude, I'd go on a couple dates with, or, you know, I'd go on many dates with the female Jack Black. It'll be a blast. Uh, oh, yeah, absolutely. It would. So, uh, as people were coming to see her and to gaze upon her beauty, some people started to say that she was even more beautiful than Venus herself. Ooh, that's going to be trouble. It's always, you never say that out loud. <laughs> not like, okay, like, you can think it, but do, do not say it. Just yeah, do not. Never say it. And if like a bunch of people get together and they're like, Guess what I think? And they're all like, yep, 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 definitely more beautiful. I'm like, you are cursing that person. Yeah, you are asking for a smiting. Yep. And again, we're using the Venus is the Latin name. Right. Aphrodite would be the Greek name. But again, we're using Latin. So Venus. So they were like, she's even more beautiful than Venus herself. And I think Venus and will be more familiar than, to people generally than Aphrodite. Although people do typically know Aphrodite too. In this case, it seems like a lot of things we know the Greek better, but in some we know the Roman, especially if they're named after planets. Yeah, that's true. Anyway. She's so high. Or the planets that are named after them. Indeed. So, as people began paying more and more attention to Psyche and wanting to go and see her, Venus's temples were starting to become neglected. And Venus had some feelings about that. <laughs> <laughs> you don't say. She was not a fan of that. So she went to her son, Cupid, and was like, mommy needs you to do her a favor. <laughs> Which I don't know why I never realized this, that Cupid was Venus's son. I mean, it seems really obvious. Yeah. But I don't think I ever realized that until just now. The goddess of love had a child. His name was Cupid. And he's a cute and... little naked baby with a bow and arrow. <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> It's like, definitely, definitely not in this story. He's not a baby. He's a full grown man. Like Jack Black. So. <laughs> Jack Black in a diaper. Man, Jack Black is going to get so many roles based on this because now he's got to play Cupid in the movie adaptation of this story. Absolutely. So Venus goes to her son, Cupid, and she's like, I'm going to need you to do mommy a favor. I need you to go down and to where this girl Psyche is, who everybody thinks is way more beautiful than me, which is a total lie. 
And I need you to make her fall in love with the most vile, ugly creature imaginable. I need you to make her fall in love with just the grossest thing in the world. So Cupid was like, sure thing, mom. No problem. (laughs) That's what I do is I make people fall in love with things and that should be easy for me. So Cupid goes to find Psyche and you know what? The plan probably would have worked except that when he saw Psyche, he was completely stricken with love. He was like, she is the most beautiful woman I have ever seen. She is so gorgeous, which I'm like, I'm glad that, you know, he found somebody that was not his mom. Yeah. That's an entirely different story. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Believe his name was Oedipus. Yes. (laughs) It's like, that's, that's not this story. So of course he's going to think, you know, that she's more beautiful Right, than, than his, his mom. mother, because that's healthy. Yeah. That's healthy. I'm happy for him. So <laughs> he saw her and her extreme beauty, and he immediately fell in love with her. But he knew that his mother, if she found out that they were together, would, you know, do something horrible to Psyche because she was only mortal. And Um, so she's very vulnerable because she's mortal. So what he did was he made it so that the people, when they came to look on her, they weren't falling in love with her. her, They were only admiring her beauty. Mm -hmm. And so no one was falling in love with Psyche. And as time went on, she saw, you know, everybody else was, getting married off. Her sisters both got married. People would come and look at her beauty and then they would leave. No one would stay. They only wanted to look at her, but nobody wanted to engage with her or anything. Right. Yeah. And I'm like, this is the problem with putting people on pedestals. Like she, like she like literally basically was like on a pedestal where they had like set up a place for her to like sit and be looked at and for people to come in and like look up at her and go, wow, yeah, that's really pretty. And then leave. (laughs) So, um, so she was really sad because while people would come and look at her, nobody loved her or even like knew her as like a person. Yeah. So her her father started to become concerned that his youngest daughter, even though at like at the beginning he had thought like, wow, I have such high hopes for her. She's probably going to marry somebody really great. And this will be really good for us. Cause my daughter's so hot that she'll like boost us up somehow, like <laughs> kingdom wise. Yeah, yeah. But now like, you know, people were like, Oh, she's beautiful. So he went to the temple of Apollo to speak with an Oracle about what he should do with his daughter. What he didn't realize was that he was speaking to Apollo himself, mm-hmm. who Cupid had gone to and explained his plan to Apollo. Uh. He had he had Cupid had told Apollo, like, I really like this girl, but you know, if my mom finds out, like <laughs> she'll kill her. And Apollo's like, Yeah, that does totally sound like something your mother would do. So when Psyche's dad went to Apollo's temple thinking he was talking to the oracle. Apollo said, 
So your daughter has actually been claimed by a terrible winged serpent creature. And this creature <gasps> the Jersey is Devil. so... <laughs> a wyvern. <laughs> Trogdor the <It's> Burninator. A... <laughs> Trogdor the Burninator. This story would be so much better if she just fell in love with Trogdor the Burninator. <laughs> Everything would, would work take, out. Just take such a turn. Anyway, so... This creature was supposedly more powerful than the gods could fight off, which I'm like, <laughs> okay, Apollo, you're kind of overselling it because like the, <laughs> the gods like fought off like the Titans and stuff and like won, right? So I'm like, how far? Anyway, but he told like the father, like, I'm sorry, this winged serpent wants to marry your daughter and like we can't fight them. This is just her fate. So what you need to do is just dress her in some clothes of mourning and leave her as a sacrifice on like the tallest hill and she will be taken away by this winged serpent that is meant to be with her. So obviously the father is really disappointed. This is terrible news. This is very upsetting. And so everybody was mourning. They're very upset because they had admired her beauty and so much, but they're like, well, if we have to sacrifice her to this like winged <laughs> serpent, that's what we have to do. So something that I really like in this story is that when they're getting her ready to be sacrificed and everyone's like mourning, like her being sacrificed, she basically was like, I don't know why you're mourning now when you should have been mourning the beauty that I had had because it was like a curse to me all along. Uh-huh. Yeah. And I'm like, wow, that is so deep and profound because she basically was like, my beauty was stopping me from being able to make meaningful connections with people my whole life. Yeah. And that was a sad existence. Uh-huh. This, this isn't the sad part. And I'm like, wow, that's psyche. That's really, yeah. that's really deep. As a very beautiful person, it resonates with me. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Oh, whew. Okay. So. Me too. Uh, My beauty is a curse. It makes it hard for people to truly connect with us. <laughs> That's why we anyway. have to do a podcast so they can't see our beautiful faces and be so distracted, not take us seriously. Exactly. So, but what's funny is like, as a, like a feminist aside to that, it is that like women who are really beautiful do have problems being taken seriously in like business and science fields mm -hmm. and stuff like that. Cause people will look at them and be like, wow, you're really beautiful. And they're like, yeah, like I'm an astrophysicist. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. It does not matter at all. Like what I look like. <laughs> like yeah. For, like, what I do. And so it is interesting that, yeah, that Psyche basically was, like, s saying that to the effect when people were, like, upset that now she was going to be given to this, like, winged serpent. But she was actually happy to finally be taken off this, like, pedestal and, and do something with her life. Even if it was to, like, get married to, like, a winged serpent. So anyway... They take, they dress her in the morning clothes and they put her on the top of the hill and they leave. And as night starts to come, the west wind that's called Zephyr, 
which might be interesting mm. to people who have heard of like there's companies Zephyr, right? But the West Wind, which was considered the most gentle of all the winds, ah. it came and it picked her up. It took her to this lush green meadow where it set her down gently, and she fell asleep just in the grass being gently caressed by the wind as she fell asleep. And when she woke up, she got up and in front of her, the sun was illuminating this giant mansion that was made of silver and gold, which might sound very familiar. (laughs) (laughs) So there's this mansion, like silver and gold, and it just looks beautiful. And she's a little afraid to walk into it because she said it looks so beautiful. It looked like it had been built by the gods, which, yeah, like it was. (laughs) literally literally Literally, that's what happened she was 100% correct so she at first was afraid to go into it because she was like this is like way too beautiful it's probably from the gods I shouldn't be messing with that I should like leave it alone but then she started to hear some voices which I'm guessing doesn't carry the same connotations as it does today (laughs) It's like, oh, she started hearing voices and they were telling her everything's going to be okay. And she's like, okay, voices. (laughs) No, but she was hearing these gentle voices that were saying like, come in, this is for you. Come in and like bathe and dress in these beautiful clothes. And so she went in and she kind of like made herself like comfortable. And she was sitting down at like a dining room table. The food had been brought to her and she was like listening to like gentle music. And I'm guessing like after constantly dealing with like people coming in and like looking at her all the time, she probably actually enjoyed being alone. (laughs) The people who are talking at you for the first time. Yeah. Yeah. It's like the people who are talking to her, like the voices that she's hearing, like nobody's sitting there, like staring at her, like watching her. She was just like, okay, cool. And so she was sitting and eating and she kind of thought to herself, like, okay, I'm wondering if, the husband that I was told was going to be coming for me. I wonder if that winged serpent, now that evening is coming on, if he is going to show up. And so she finished eating and drinking and the voices told her how to get to like her room. And so she like went to the room and laid down in this beautiful, gorgeous Harry Potter bed. <laughs> since since in years you were like it was like a bed just a really big cool bed you know like harry potter i was like that's like you're like the height of like the height of luxury sleeping accommodations yes, can't get better like, than harry potter bed um so yeah she walked into the bedroom and you know big comfy bed like pillows and sheets finest quality She goes and lays down and she turns off the light. And this is when the story sounds like it's going to take like a super creepy turn because she heard somebody come in like through the window. (laughs) (laughs) Which I'm like, yeah. And then in the dark, she felt somebody climb into bed. And again, it's like, this is going to be super creepy. something that I want to experience in my life. No. But then... She heard a kind voice greet her and tell her that, like, everything was going to be okay, that, like, everything was all right. And she reached out to feel, like, who was in the bed, and she could feel it wasn't a scaly monster. 
it was the body of a man. And he just, like, talked really nicely to her. And they, like, could sit and have a conversation with each other. Which, again, I'm like, that must have been nice for her to be having a conversation with somebody who wasn't looking at her body being like, oh, wow, you're super hot. Yeah. That's all I need to know about you. Like, no, it was somebody who like, we're sitting in the dark. We could be anybody just having like a conversation. So they spent many nights like this in their marriage where she would wake up in the morning, he would be gone and she would move around the castle doing things, or she would go outside into the beautiful mountain meadow that she lived in. And then at night when it got dark, she would lay down in bed and her husband would come in. Her husband, who she could feel was a man, and they could just be with each other. But she started to get lonely. She started to miss her sisters, mm-hmm. which I'm like, ah, that makes sense that she would miss her sisters. Yeah. And her husband knew that she was feeling sad and lonely because, again, they would talk to each other. <laughs> <laughs> And so he knew that she was feeling sad and lonely and that he missed her family, but he told her that her sisters missed her too, and that he would see them every day on the hill where they had left her and they were crying for her because they missed her so much. And that made Psyche want to go to her sisters. And Cupid was really resistant of this because he was like, no, if you talk with your sisters, Something bad is going to happen with us. They're going to give you bad advice and you're going to like follow their advice. And she was like, no, I promise. Like, I will not follow their advice. Like, I won't listen to them. I miss them so much. Please let me be with them. So finally, he told her, okay, tomorrow when your sisters come, I'll have Zephyr bring them to you. And she was like, okay, sounds great. Which I'm like, if my husband was like, oh, yes, I'll, t- I'll have the winds bring them to you. Like I would start to, I'm like, who is my husband? That it's like, he has control over like, I'll just talk to Zephyr about bringing you. I'm like, who is this guy? Anyway. So that is what they did. And just like a brief aside. I also, I'm like, how old is the meddling in-laws trope? Like how tired is this trope that like, they have been using it since at least like 280 (laughs) that they're like, Oh, those in-laws are going to come in and like (laughs) ruin everything. Yeah. I'm like, Oh, like people, it's so played out. It is the year 200 AD. We've heard it before. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway. So the next day, her sisters go to the hill that she had been left and the West Wind, Zephyr, came and picked them up and then dropped them in the field. And they look up and they see this, like, giant mansion. Super amazing. There's their gorgeous sister standing there. And she's like, oh, my gosh, guys, I missed you so much. And so she shows them around the palace and they're like, well, what happened with you? Like, the winged serpent. What's that like? That must be, like, horrible. Even though you live in this, like, giant palace you're married to this winged serpent. It must be horrible. And she's like, no, I'm not married to like a winged serpent. And they're like, wait, what do you mean? (laughs) He's like, (laughs) like, no, like he is a super nice guy. He's like a hunter and he's like away hunting. And that's why he's not here right now. Sorry. You can't meet him. He's just gone today. 
So her sisters were asking her a bunch of questions and apparently it became obvious to them that like, we don't think she's seen this guy. Like, has she never laid eyes on this man? Because they're Uh, like, her descriptions like didn't totally line up. It feels like she's lying to us because it sounds like she's never seen this man before. But anyway, the end of the day came and she psyche like handed them bags of like gold and silver and we're like thank you for visiting me so much like i hope you come back again soon and they're like sure can we come back and see you in a couple days and she was like i would love that so much guys so the sisters got sent back to where they live but they were talking with each other and they're like that was messed up right and they're like yeah that's super (laughs) messed up but they also it says in the story like they were super jealous of what their sister had and they wanted to like ruin it for her Oh, which come again, on. Which again, like feminist aside, I'm like, <laughs> there's just this like old tired trope of like, like, oh, women are always super jealous of each other about like which men they like end up with. Uh-huh. And they're, so they're always trying to like tear each other down. And I'm like, no, but because <sighs> it's like the only reason why that's a thing is because it matters who people are married to. Uh huh. For women, because that pretty much determines like the rest of your life back then. Like, right. Yeah. yeah. Because, yeah, if like if I was paired with somebody who didn't have something like that's it for me, I don't have like upward mobility. It's just whatever my husband, whatever husband I get. So it's not that women are constantly trying to tear down women like that's Anyway. That is going to be another rant that we'll have in part two also. (laughs) So look forward to that, everybody. <laughs> Everyone's like, well, I'm definitely going to skip that episode. <laughs> anyway, so whatever their motivation was, I like to believe that the sisters were worried about their sister and that they wanted the best for her, that they were seriously concerned that maybe she was being tricked by this winged serpent and they wanted to help her escape from this marriage to a monster. But whatever the motivation When they showed up the second time to come and visit, and again, Cupid, like, warned Psyche, like, please don't listen to your sisters. Please don't do any, like, don't take any of their advice. But when they get over, they're like, hey, we think that your husband is super suspicious, and we're worried that he's, like, tricking you. So what we brought you is a candle. In some stories, it's a candle. In some stories, it's a lantern. Uh I think probably because in Latin, it just said like a light. Right. They brought her a light. Yeah. Um, And so that's neither here nor there until we get to the part about what falls on him. Spoiler alert. Just kidding. Jeff already told East of the Sun. (laughs) That that was the spoiler. So anyway, they give her a candle or a lantern and they give her a knife. And oh, they dang. tell her, yeah, and a knife. And they tell her that at night, after they go to sleep, when her husband is asleep, she needs to light the light that they gave her and go and look and see who her husband really is. But she needs to have the knife ready so that if it is the serpent, <laughs> she can quickly just stab him <laughs> and then run and escape. Yeah, this so, does not sound like a good plan. Yeah. It really is this, like, <laughs> like, terrible, scaly serpent. You're just going to, like, piss it off by no, stabbing it and then get yourself especially killed. Especially when, like, the oracle told 
her father like, oh, that's that serpent. He's too strong for any of us gods to take on. And then her sisters are like, here's a knife. The gods can't defeat it. But here, try this. Like, like, what's your plan? (laughs) Anyway, this plan wasn't very well thought through. No. So at first, Psyche was like, um, no, that's like, that's crazy. I trust him. He hasn't done anything to like break my trust. But the more that she started like thinking about it, the more she started to become nervous. Like, what if I am sharing a bed every night with this like lizard person? <laughs> serpent, <laughs> winged serpent. I don't know, my brain was like lizard person. <laughs> like he lives in the gutters and is part of the Illuminati. Anyway. She's like, <laughs> it's her conspiracy theory. <laughs> See, once you get like a doubt, a conspiracy theory planted in your mind, like it just like stays Spirals in there. Spirals out of control. Yep. So she throughout the day becomes like more and more concerned. So by the time her sisters like go home, she is kind of like, okay, I'll, I'll just look because worst case scenario, like I will look and I'll see who it is. And worst case scenario, it is a serpent creature and I stab it really fast because this is a very good plan. Or I just find that it's a man that I've thought that it was. So she's like, okay, I'm going to do it. So she lights her, the light that they give her, whether it's candle or lantern. And she tiptoes over to her, where her husband's sleeping and she looks down on him and she sees the beautiful godly form of Cupid lying in her bed and she is shocked by his gorgeous beauty jack black (laughs) 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 she's shocked by his immense beauty and she can't believe that that is who she's been with this entire time but as she's gazing down at his body some of the either wax or the oil from her light drips onto him and burns him. Oh man. So he wakes up burnt and turns around and sees his wife standing there with a knife. (laughs) Jeez. And so he flies out of the window in pain and he calls back to her from the darkness Love cannot live where there is no trust. Oh, man. Heartbreaking. Well, okay, but also... But a great line. It's a super great line. A super great exit line, especially. Yeah, seriously. Especially because Cupid means love. So it's like a play on words where he's like, I can't live where there's no trust. So he's like, love cannot live where there's no trust. But I also am like, okay. (laughs) He did, he (laughs) trusts... Yeah, I'm like, he, he trusted her... To meet with like her sisters, and yeah. he expected her to listen to him, like he to trust him. Yeah. But at the same time, he is retaining all this power in their relationship. And so I feel like it's really unfair. Yeah. And he's like, uh, didn't trust her enough to tell her who he was. Exactly. Which is and what led he, to this whole stuff in the first place. Yeah. And yeah, he doesn't, he doesn't trust her to look at him and to like, yeah see who he really is. Yeah. And he also, he has so much power in the relationship because he has seen her before. Yeah. He, he has knows exactly her, who she is. 
He knows exactly who she is. He knows where they are. He has the power to like make stuff appear and like make stuff. Anyway, so it's a super cool exit line, (laughs) but I have some problems with his logic there. They need they need therapy is what I'm saying. It goes Um, both ways. The trust. It goes yeah. Trust has to go both ways, sir. Anyway, so Cupid flies off to his mother, and he is like hurt. Both in his heart and physically, because she dropped like burning oil onto him. So, and Psyche is left just crying over the husband that she had just lost. And she decides in that moment because her heart is completely broken because there was a person in her life who loved her for her. And she had finally found this like happiness. Yeah. And then she lost it. And so she decided that she was like, I will love him the rest of my life. And I am going to dedicate the rest of my life to getting him back. Which I'm like, that is so beautiful. (laughs) So, but Cupid, when he got home and was like, mom, ow, I burnt my wings. His mother was like, I'm sorry, where have you been? (laughs) (laughs) And he was like, okay, so it turns out that woman that you were super jealous of, I totally did not make her fall in love with somebody ugly. I fell in love with her and then I took her and I've been living with her and I'm sorry, mom. (laughs) You were right, mom. (laughs) So, of course, this made Venus like even more upset because she's like, not only did I not like this lady because she was like, getting all of like these people to like worship her and not me. But now like my son, she like broke my son's heart. Yeah. So like now I need to like murder this woman. She's going to die for sure now. Yeah. (laughs) Before she was just going to have to live with an ugly man for the rest of her life. But no, now she's going to die. Yeah. now, (laughs) Now Venus is like, that's it. I hate this woman. I have to do something about it. So, meanwhile, Psyche is going to just all of the temples of the gods and trying to get them to listen to her, to talk with her, to get advice. And all of the gods and goddesses were like, I'm staying out of this. This is not my business. I do not want to get in trouble with Venus. That's not what I want to do. So, Psyche does something which I think is brilliant. She decides, she's like, fine, if nobody's going to help me, I'm going straight to Venus. Just get this taken care of. I'm going to go to that woman. I'm going to tell her, hey, we're on bad terms. I'm willing to be a servant to you and to do anything that you want me to do. And Venus was like, good. I was looking for you anyway because I hate you. Now I can kill you creatively. So, <laughs> And so Psyche told Venus, like, I am committed to showing you how much I love your child, which I'm like, props. Good for you. Yeah. Anyway, Venus was still not having it. She was like, no, you're a horrible person. (laughs) So, (laughs) so the first thing that Venus did was she took a large amount of small seeds, like wheat, poppy, millet, and she mixed them all together into a giant heap. And she said, by the end of the day, I want all these to be sorted out. If you guys have been listening (laughs) to the fairy tellers podcast and you have heard the Cinderella episode, this theme might also seem familiar to you. Yeah, that sounds like a real stepmother move there, Venus. So I just, because all through this, I want to point out there are different like bits and pieces that get used in different fairy tales. Yeah, so that's cool. All of these things get mixed together and Venus is like, get these sorted out by the end of the day or else. 
So v, uh, Psyche knew that all of the humans and gods that she has ever talked to, nobody had come to her, her aid and she knew that she was like in so much trouble and she started to cry. And this group of ants saw her sorrow and they decided that they were all going to come together. So the c- smallest creature of the field <laughs> came out, this large mass of ants, and they all like grabbed a grain and then sorted it out. And so it <laughs> wow. got divided up like super quickly <laughs> into its piles. And Psyche was like, oh, my goodness, thank you so much. And they're like, we can see how much love that you have like in your heart. We wanted to help you. And so Venus comes back and is like, wow, way to go, Psyche. I'm so happy for you. Here's a piece of stale bread. (laughs) And (laughs) I'll most likely kill you in the morning. So she, yeah, Venus gives her some stale bread to eat and tells her to rest on the floor because Venus was kind of like, worst case scenario, I make her have a really, really hard life and she's so ugly and gross that nobody will ever love her because of like how ugly she is. Uh Uh-huh. Which I'm like, Venus, it's not about what you look like. It's what's on the inside. Anyway, so the next morning, Venus comes to Psyche and she's like, okay, I have a new task for you. I want you to go down to this one river where a bunch of sheep that have golden fleece are drinking. So while you're down there, I want you to collect the golden fleece and bring it back to me. So sheep with golden fleece, I don't know if you know this, they're known for being very vicious in like mythologies. Like, <laughs> oh man, no, I actually did not know that. Oh, so like it's supposed to be very hard to get golden, golden fleece. fleece Any, from them, right. Yeah, anytime there's golden fleece, like it's going to be a whole thing. It's like an ordeal. Yeah, it's going to be a difficult Yeah, well, so, I guess I knew that, but. Yeah, so um, Venus commanded Psyche to come back with like a certain amount of golden fleece. So Psyche went down to the river and she saw that there were lots of really large golden sheep eating and drinking. Um, They were drinking out of the water and eating the fine grass. that was all around the edge. And she got down to the river and she started to like hear this voice coming from the river that was telling her that she should just give up and kill herself and that she should leap into the water and drowned which we have not talked about this fairy tale yet on the podcast but there's actually a fairy tale that has talking water that tries to uh-huh. get children you, to like kill drown themselves. yourself in it oh man yeah um Dark. or or to like yeah anyway it's a whole thing deadly deadly rivers that talk to you because they're enchanted and they want you to dead right it's a thing it's gonna come up at another uh-huh. time in the podcast. But anyway, so the river is telling her, like, jump in. It's not worth it. You should just drown yourself. But then some green reeds that were growing on the side of the river ba- riverbank were like, stoop to conquer. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. They did not say that. That's just, like, my favorite Aesop fable. I don't know why. I just think it's... It's my favorite. Every time I see the word reeds now, that's like what that's I all think you of. think of. So yeah, listen to the Aesop Fable episode for a cool story <laughs> about reeds. So the green reeds actually called out to Psyche and they were like, don't drown yourself. Don't listen to the river. We can help you get what you want. There's hope for you yet. They're like, all you have to do is wait till the end of the day. Those big sheep are going to pass by these huge bushes and their fleece gets caught 
in the thorns of the bushes and you'll have more than enough to bring back with you. And so Psyche was like, oh my goodness, thank you so much. That really helps. The sheep came, they walked past and she just followed after them, picking all of the golden fleece out of the bushes. Nice. And then, Smart move. Yeah. Then she went to Venus and was like, here, I have this. And Venus was like, I know that you probably had to have help to uh, get this. So I'm going to give you another task. I want you to take this flask to the source of the river Styx, which was basically like a waterfall that was coming from the sky. <laughs> and she's like, I want you to get up there where the water is coming out and fill up the flask and then bring it to me. So Psyche took the flask and she was looking up at this super tall waterfall up at the top and she knew she could not climb up there. There was like no possible way uh-huh. that she could get up without help. And yeah. she started to despair. And this eagle said, I've seen like how much you love this person and what you're willing to do. Let me help you. And the eagle grabbed onto the flask and flew it up to the top of the waterfall and filled it up with the water and brought it down to her. And Psyche was like, thank you so much for doing this. And she goes back to Venus and Venus is like, oh, my goodness. This woman is driving me insane because she just won't die. (laughs) And (laughs) so Venus was like, it's fine. I'm immortal. I can keep coming up with tasks until she either gives up or is dead. Like, that's basically like her game plan. So the next thing that she did was she took a box Uh, Venus took a box and she said, I need you to take this box to the underworld and I need you to ask Proserpine, who's Persephone. Oh, wow. And the Greek, I don't like Proserpine. Proserpine. I don't like that name. So, you know what? Yeah, I'm like, we're gonna, (laughs) we're gonna rock this story. I'm gonna go Greek. It's Persephone. So Venus is like, can you ask Persephone to fill this box up with some of her spring beauty? Because that's Persephone. I guess she's in charge of making some beauty because Venus, I guess, needs to put it on her. She needs more beauty (laughs) in a box. I don't understand how it works, guys. But anyway, she needed her to put beauty inside of the box so that Venus could then use that beauty because she was like, I've been working really hard taking care of my super injured son. And so it's been really hard on me and it's starting to show on my face. (laughs) Psyche, you wouldn't know why my son is so sad and injured. Would you? That was like guilt trip. Anyway. (laughs) So Psyche is like, okay, I can definitely go and do that. So, and it's like worst case scenario. If somebody goes like down into the other underworld, but they like mess up. They like, don't do the steps right. They just die and they don't come back. Right. Yeah. So there's like tons of challenges along the way. So uh-huh. she's like, either I'm going to get this box of beauty or, or this girl's going to die. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, exactly. The girl's going to die trying. Yeah. The girl's going to die trying. So Psyche went and as she was walking, she walked past this tower that was right before the river sticks. And the story that I read, it didn't say like why the person in the tower was like, oh, let me give you all these hints. They just did. They were <laughs> like, they're like, oh, yeah, yeah, you're here running an errand. Sure. That totally makes sense. Understandable. <laughs> Happens all the time. Yeah. So they're like, just make sure to pay the ferryman. 
And also, you're going to need some cake to give to the three-headed dog. Obviously, dogs love cake. Yeah. So, so he gave uh, some instructions to Psyche of, like, how to get down there. So Psyche got down there, and Persephone, again, I prefer the Greek. Persephone was like, oh, I know exactly what to do with this box. Venus is always having me do this. No problem. So she took the box out of the sight of Psyche and did whatever she wanted to do with that box. And then she brought it back to Psyche and was like, here's the box. Good luck on your way back. Just do exactly what you did in reverse to get out of here. And Psyche was like, sweet. So she got out of the underworld and was almost back to where Venus was, which Uh sounds like it was like a castle or something with a tall tower that will become important in a moment. (laughs) So she gets almost all the way back and she thinks to herself, you know what? I have been sleeping on the ground a lot and eating a bunch of stale bread. I know I've been going through an ordeal and I don't look that good. Maybe I should just take a peek inside of this box and use some of the beauty that Persephone put in it on myself. Because if I run into Cupid, like, I don't want to look unkept. That would be a turnoff. So she opens up the box and she's like, wait, the box is empty. And then she passes out because what was in the box was sleep. Uh, Beauty sleep. I guess. I Yeah, I guess. Because I even like went to look up like, wait, where does the term beauty sleep come from? Uh-huh. And it, and it and doesn't no, and nothing. Those. Yeah, nothing ties it to this. But I'm like, that's interesting that what was kept in the box wasn't was, like lotion or something, you know, like right. it was, it was sleep. It was sleep. Interesting. Yeah. So I guess it was beauty sleep, but it was a little too much for Psyche to take. So the girl just passes out, hits the ground. <laughs> Meanwhile, Cupid is actually, he's recovered by now, but he's starting to really miss Psyche and he feels bad because he's like, we could have made it work, you know, like the trust issues between us. Like we could have gone to therapy. We could have like sorted this out. <laughs> I left too quickly. So he's having regrets yeah. about like leaving her. I realize now and, that I could have handled things in a much better way. Yeah. I've matured. His, I've grown. Yeah. In his defense though, he woke up to being burnt and a person was holding a, a knife. knife. To yeah. Him. Oh, I'd run away too. Oh yeah. So I'm like, he had his reasons without a anyway. Quit. Yes. <laughs> so he looks out of the tower and he sees that Psyche is like fallen to the ground. So he jumps out of the window. He's got wings. Everybody calm down. So he jumps out of the window, like flies to her next to her and he wipes the sleep from her eyes and puts it back in the box. <laughs> and she wakes up and sees him and they embrace and they say their I'm sorry's. And she's like, well, I'm your mom's servant now, so I need to go and give this to Venus. And he's like, okay, you go and do that. So she goes to give (laughs) Venus the box, and he flies up to Olympus, and he goes to Jupiter, because, again, we're using the Latin names. He goes to Jupiter, and he tells him all about the problem that he's been having, and he's like, can you please make my bride immortal to protect her? from my mother and to make her a proper wife for me to have. And Jupiter is like, yeah, that all makes sense. So he sends Mercury down to gather up uh, Psyche and bring her 
up to Olympus and they give her the ambrosia of the gods so that she becomes immortal. And when Venus gets up there, she's like, what's going on? (laughs) And Jupiter's like, it's too late. They are married. And Venus is like, you know what? She proved her love for my son. And now that she's up here, she's not going to get worshipped by people (laughs) down there. And so I'm cool with it. It's all fine. (laughs) And from then on, love and the soul were united forever. Because psyche means soul. That's pretty adorable. Yeah, it's pretty cute. It does wrap story. up pretty neatly there at the end. But you know what? It Venus does. shows some character growth. She does. You know, nobody explodes in this story. Which is disappointing, but. Which is disappointing, but I feel like it still has some merit as a story. Yeah. It is interesting how there are so many similar things and they're used in kind of like different ways too, but then obviously how much is different. And also, like you pointed out throughout, the different elements that we see in other fairy tales that have been taken from this, like some that we didn't even get into, like the water and, and all sorts of other stuff. Like, but it was interesting to be like, why would this girl go to the wind? I mean, I guess you could kind of make sense, but it's like in the story that it kind of comes from, there's a God of the wind that, yeah, that she goes to, that they go to, to help travel. And yeah. And there's, there's uh like, Wind as like the cardinal directions too. Yeah, the west wind. Yeah, and in west the, they had like the four cardinal directions in the in the east of the sun, west of the moon story. Yeah. So, how did the story of Cupid and Psyche get to Norway? That is a question I would like to know the answer to. <laughs> So, this story was ori- originally written down in Latin in the 2nd century AD, we talked about. But when things were written down back then, they were handwritten, and so barely anybody owned any written material. Like, right. it was written material was very rare. It was kept in away from like the general public, away from people. Um, And so it wasn't until the 1400s that this story, after the printing press was invented, this story in its original Latin was written down and printed using like the printing press. Yeah. And then more people could read it. And so it started to get dispersed all throughout Europe. And then when it would get to certain parts of Europe, it would get translated into whichever language was the most common there. Yeah. As literature became more important to own, Uh which developed in different European countries kind of at different times. Uh But basically from the 1400s on, and it was like the late 1400s, like 14... 70 something Uh um but we talked about this too with like aesop's fables that's when they got translated and then kind of dispersed everybody it was like after once the printing press was invented stories traveled fast because you could actually see them written down but then something interesting happened in the 1600s where different european countries started to take this tale type of cupid and psyche And they started to apply it to 
kind of reflect what they were going through and the anxieties, especially around marriage and women securing a marriage. Uh And so one of the most common tales or so arguably the most famous tale that comes from Cupid and Psyche is actually Beauty and the Beast. I was thinking that too. And I saw, I was like, there's a lot of Beauty and the Beast kind of to both of these things, especially when you look at East of the Sun, West of the Moon, the whole getting taken away to this castle, kind of having your needs taken care of, but you're lonely and you're like kind of married to a bear, not married, but stuck with a bear or what you think could potentially be a scaly lizard serpent monster Trogdor. Yeah. Yes. So something that is also super interesting about like, so there's that kind of a tale type of being married to not just like an ugly spouse, but one that was like a creature. Yeah. That's kind of what it, it moved in the 1600s. It became primarily a story of a, beautiful woman being married to like a beast of a man, Mm -hmm. either a serpent or a pig or a boar. And sometimes in the case of Bluebeard, it's a man who might have like a hideous feature, which a blue beard is not like the most (laughs) hideous feature I can think of anyway. (laughs) But, but it started to twist that way where it was, In the 1600s, it was always a beautiful woman getting married to a monster of a man. Right. And it reflected kind of the anxieties of women not having control over who they were going to get married off to. And they're concerned that they would get married to a person that they think is a monster. Yeah. And so sometimes the tale, the man, they'll think that they're marrying a monster, but it turns out to be something wonderful. Yeah. Like a prince in disguise, or it uh-huh. turns out to really be a horrible monster and then they have to like escape. From right. It. But what's interesting is before the 1600s, there were medieval examples of story types where a man would have to get married to an ugly woman. Oh, interesting. The most common, even though I don't know how many people have read the Canterbury Tales, uh-huh. but the most famous example of that happening is the wife of Bath's story about a man who has to marry an ugly woman and he has to decide in the story whether or not she is beautiful in the daytime where people would see him with a beautiful woman uh-huh. or whether he wants her to be beautiful at night when he's alone with her. Right. And in the end of the Canterbury Tales story, I'm sorry, spoiler alerts for the Canterbury Tales, <laughs> the wife of Bath's story, the the man decides, he says that he had learned that women want to be free to make their own choices. And so he would let her decide. And then she was beautiful all the time. Oh, she was wow. like, correct answer. I'm beautiful all the time. <laughs> and that's interesting to me in this story, the story's, East of the Sun, West of the Moon, and Cupid and Psyche that we told, where the woman is getting to choose. Yeah. That was something that I was thought was really interesting, too, about East of, the, East of the Sun, West of the Moon, was that it was all about 
the woman was the one going and like questing questing she kissed the sleeping prince she was the one that went on the quest collected the magical items outsmarted the 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 monster to be able to to win the prince's heart or whatever yeah and it was there's a point in both of those stories right after they see their husbands for the first time in the light yeah where they have a choice they can say you know what i'm sure i can find a better man or like well, that's unfortunate. And just let them go. Yeah. They had that choice. That choice was available to them. And so it was the woman's choice in both of those to be like, you know what? No, this is how it's going to go down. I'm going to get that man. I'm going to be an active participant in my life. Yeah. So the main reason why I thought it was so important for us to look at... Cupid and Psyche, before we go on to talk about a more famous tale like Beauty and the Beast, which, <laughs> uh-huh. w- again, I said, like, this is going to be kind of like a two-parter where, like, we will cover those in a couple months. Before we can talk about those stories, we had to cover Cupid and Psyche. Yeah. Because so much of the tale type that gets used later in lots of different versions of story. It all starts with Cupid and Psyche and how that one story got disseminated in Europe. You've been listening to the Fairy Tellers Podcast. If you enjoyed what you listened to, please leave us a review and share with your friends. For more fairy tale content, head over to thefairytellers.wordpress.com for lighthearted retellings or follow us on Instagram for daily fairy tale memes at the fairy underscore tellers, or even join the conversation on our Facebook page. Special thanks to Andrew Forey for our music and Clarice Inch for our artwork. This episode contains additional music from Kevin McLeod at Incompetech Music. Check him out at incompetech.com. May you have warm words on a cold evening, a full moon on a dark night, and a smooth road all the way to your door. An Irish blessing. I don't actually, I can't, I was trying to do this the other day, I can't sing our theme music by heart. The only thing I do know for sure is like, which actually that's not even right either, so I can't do it.